I mean, just by nature of what it is, audition is a competition because someone is going to get work and someone isn't. But that doesn't mean that your career stops because of that. One of the best pieces of advice I've heard is to walk in with the attitude of you already don't have the job, so you have nothing to lose by going for what you think is right and what you feel is good. Because um, you may spawn an idea that they never thought about for a character or they never had for this commercial or, you know, a personality trait that they didn't really think would work with this specific job, but think, oh, you know, you're different, but you work with what we're trying to do. So go f going for it and not worrying about the results is something I'm still woodshedding every single day that I audition and every single day I talk to people, but it's something that is more and more over time helping me feel more free about my own performance and my own work. Hello, and welcome to the Final Mile Club podcast, or as we're calling it, FM Radio. This series explores life after graduation through conversations with industry professionals across the fields of the arts, media, performance, design, and beyond. My name is Sarah Beijang, and I'm the Dean of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University. Without further ado, I want to introduce our guest for today. This is Isaac Robinson-Smith. He is a, an actor, performer, and voiceover superstar coming to us from Los Angeles, California. He's worked at Disney Universal Studios and has clients that range the gamut from Netflix to Fisher-Price. I will also say that he happens to have the special distinction of being <laughs> uh, my brother. And so I am really grateful for Isaac and, and taking the time to be with us today. And so welcome and, and thank you so much for being here. Yay. Hi. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited. One of the particular focus of this session is talking about auditions and interviews. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear, what did you learn in, in your own university education that, that helped you as you were starting to launch your career? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, specifically with auditioning, I went to UC Irvine um, in Southern California. Um, I got my degree in theater. And uh, the auditions there were all uh, stage auditions because I was doing musicals and plays while I was there. But I did transition into doing voiceover auditions because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. The skill set for auditioning, I definitely grew uh, as I was at school because uh, it was different from going from high school to college. Because in high school, it's sort of, it's a very, I mean, not like college can't be a nurturing community, but high school is like very like, you know, we're all here for you. We all want you to have a part in the show. We want you to do something. But at college, it's like, if you don't fit the part or if you don't have the skill set, then you're not going to get the role. So there was a different level of... Um, skills to have going into that realm, um, which was hard for me because I, you know, did a lot in high school. I was, you know, lead roles in a bunch of musicals there. And I thought that that would sort of just happen again when I went to college, but that's definitely not the case. Um, but what was great was I had uh, a lot of people that were with me at the same level. And I loved the camaraderie and the, and the community. You mentioned community earlier and the community of people and students that I was with at school was very helpful to me because um, we all were able to sort of prep for auditions together and get ready to do whatever it was they had, um, which I've still kind of carried into now. I mean, I still, you know, talk to people that have the same auditions that I have for voiceover and see what ideas they had or what they did. But I will say that it started, it was a progression from going from fear of not getting the part um, was the biggest hurdle I think I had to get through because if I didn't get a role in a show or if I didn't get something, it, it to me attributed to who I was. And I was like, well, there's something wrong with you if you haven't gotten the role in this thing. But I had to learn mm -hmm. over time that that's not the case, which is you're just, you just don't fit the right 
uh, mold or you don't look like what they need to or you don't quite have the the vocal range, but it has nothing to do with your talent. It's just what they're looking for in the part, which continues to be a theme in my voiceover auditions. Um, so I think over time, it just this is just a very general broad strokes audition thing that I learned, but not worrying about um, trying to concentrate so hard on what they want and just concentrating on when, what you can bring is free, freed me quite a bit. <laughs> it took me a lot of years to get to that point, but it started in college and then I began to you know audition for a lot of roles for Disneyland and doing performances and union roles there. Um, and it would be a lot of not getting it over and over and over and over again. And for a while, like I said, it was just, oh, I'm, I must, something must be wrong with what I'm doing, but there wasn't anything wrong. It was just at the time, I either hadn't learned enough or I hadn't gone far enough, hadn't trained enough, um, but it said nothing. I mean, what's cool is the opportunities didn't didn't dry up. And I think that's something else that I learned is um, at first, if I didn't get something, I thought, well, that's it. That's forever now. It will never come my way. But um, just knowing that there's always another chance to have something and be part of something also is a little freeing because that kind of removes the, the um, you know, being so uptight and rigid about this one audition because there's going to be something else later on that you're even more right for. So can I ask you a couple of questions about that? Yeah. Going back to what you said earlier about community versus competition. Yeah. I think a lot of times we think around applications for, for jobs or auditions for parts and we see our peers as our as our most immediate competition. Right. How do you or how did you and maybe how do you still yeah. work past that sense of competition with with all the other folks who are applying for the same kinds of voiceover roles that you are and really f begin to cultivate community as opposed to being worried about who's who's getting what roles. For me, being friends with them and celebrating the wins of people that are your friends getting those things. Because I have really close friends that we go out for the same thing. J I mean, just by nature of what it is, audition is a competition because someone is going to get work and someone isn't. But that doesn't mean that your career stops because of that. And that doesn't mean that you can't celebrate what other somebody else had. I know um, I uh, auditioned for a Disney Plus movie that came out recently called Ice Age Buck Wild. And I got a callback for Sid the Sloth. And that was really exciting because I didn't think I would do that. It was a sound-alike role, so we're trying to imitate John Leguizamo's performance. And I got a callback. It went really well. And then I didn't hear anything, um, which is also something to get used to is just to not hear anything unless you book the job in voiceover specifically. Um, but uh, the time went, a year went by, the movie was released, and I found out that my friend Jake actually got the role, who's at my agency. So in that moment, I could have said, oh, well, it went to somebody else that, that wasn't me. But in that, I thought, well, Jake brought whatever element they needed for the part. He's somebody that I know, not a super close friend, but we're both at the same agency. So that's a win for just our group of people at our agency. Um, and also knowing that there's some that there's a role that I'm going to be right for that's going to be, you know, equally as filling to me. And I think that's that's the difference is not letting external results influence internal um, feel. So that's kind of how I stave off um, rejection is knowing there's more opportunities coming and knowing that I've given what my idea is, and if they want it, great. If they don't, then I'm going to keep going, you know. I know you are now teaching your yeah. own voice acting classes, so I'd be curious what you're telling your students. 
Right. Yeah. So getting so voiceover, I, I kind of break it down into, I think, four steps of how it works, you know, and there's no real set like this is the, the definitive, you know, journey. But what I tell my students is um, first thing is classes and education. Um, it's called voice acting for a reason. Um, if you're not an actor or you don't know how to act um, or don't have any training in that, get some because <laughs> you're going to need it. Um, but it's not just that. It's, you know, theme park performance or performance in other kinds. It's uh, doing stand-up, improv, music. Anything that gets you performing for people will inherently help you with voiceover because all those skills are built into a voiceover career, all of that stuff. When you're doing animation or you're doing video games, there is a visual element that comes with it. But for commercials on radio, for example, there aren't any visuals to that. Um, and the reason I say that is because the voice performance comes before any visual element is added in. Sometimes it's there, like sometimes like for Voltron or for commercials, they've maybe shot the main things and then it's the narration that goes over. But if the heart of the character and the narration isn't there, we will sense that. We as human beings sense when somebody is happy or sad or energetic or um, compassionate. Those things have to come through in the voiceover read in the raw MP3 with no bells and whistles. So having the performance stand alone is important. So having the acting chops behind it is is extremely important, no matter what brand of voiceover you're doing. Um, then the next thing is to get a demo. There are different demos for different things. Biggest note I tell people is get it professionally done. Do not do it yourself. I know that we have a lot of power when it comes to getting home studios and recording and editing, but they will know when it's a professional demo or not. So get it professionally produced. Um, then the next step is to get an agent, which is the most difficult step. A lot of agents have people on their roster that they trust. They are not really looking for just blind emails. So the biggest thing to have is a referral and a referral comes from taking classes. I had a agent, one of the most powerful agents in LA. She's sadly retiring. Her name is Pat Brady. She said, if I don't see referred by in the email, you know, log the, the subject line, then I just put it away because referrals are what they trust because they are being referred by somebody that has uh, viability. Getting referrals or having connections with agents, getting the agent, that's basically the next step. And then after that, it is auditioning like crazy. They will send you everything under the sun. Um, so just sending in quality auditions, respecting the time by sending auditions back into them on time when they're due. And then also continuing to learn and take class in the midst of that. You know, don't stop learning because you have an agent. Keep taking classes. You never know who you'll meet. I just got a role with Disney television animation because of a workshop I took three weeks ago continuing to learn. Um, and then the work, which is the fun part, which, uh, so then you're, you're doing the job, you're doing the role, the ratio for when you get paid, you get paid 90% of the job and then your agent gets 10%. Keep it, keep that as part of your work mentality as well. You do 90% of the work, the agent does the other 10%. So you've got to be ready to bring the other 90, even when they're not involved or when they're not talking to them as much. And when you're just auditioning day after day, keep doing the 90% so that they can, you know, close that and you can have a full career. Your job is the audition. So have fun with the audition and do what you do if, as if you were really booking it and treat it that way. And then if they ask you, could, ask you to come back and do it again and they pay you for it, great. But if not, then at least you presented what you can do and you're doing what you think is right. What does an audition, in particularly for voice roles, look like today? Uh, yeah. and, and I'm thinking about pre-COVID and, and maybe post-COVID, just kind of curious what that looks like. But also I'm aware that interview processes are starting to look a lot more like 
screen auditions and screen yeah. tests when we're auditioning through Zoom. So what have you found to be particularly effective? Yeah, well, as far as um, I'll kind of conflate interviews and, and voiceover auditions together, um, it is, you know, it's 95% digital now because of COVID everybody is auditioning from home and everybody has to self-direct. Um, and I think that's the biggest shift is going from going to a booth director who could give you some insight on the other side of the glass and say, let's try this, let's try this. Um, but it is sort of akin to what voiceover auditions were and always have been. Voiceover auditions before, the only difference for me was I could drive to my agency in uh, LA and they have a voiceover booth there and they have a booth director so they could direct me through the audition when I would read things. Um, but the basic thing is I go in either to there, but it's been here, it's been at my studio. Um, and I read the copy or I read the script and then send it away. And then that's all I can do. That's, that's all that happens. I may hear something. I may not hear something. Um, I may get a call back. I may not. Uh, and the timeline is so screwy with voiceover. Um, like I, I, my first animation role was Adam in, uh, Voltron legendary defender on Netflix. and. I auditioned for that and didn't know I booked it until a year had gone by. And that's just because DreamWorks schedule was like, we're, we didn't have time to schedule you, but you booked it. But I had no idea for a solid year. So um, it's uh, the, the common phrase that I hear is screaming into a void is kind of what we do. Um, and then we hear back maybe or maybe not. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I've heard from voiceover specifically, and this goes to auditions and even in interviews, um, is to walk in with the attitude of you already don't have the job, so you have nothing to lose by going for what you think is right and what you feel is good. Because um, you may spawn an idea that they never thought about for a character or they never had for this commercial or you know a personality trait that they didn't really think would work with this specific job, but they think, oh, you know, you're different, but you work with what we're trying to do. So go f going for it and not worrying about the results is something I'm still woodshedding every single day that I audition and every single day I talk to people, but it's something that is more and more over time helping me feel more free about my own performance and my own work. Going back to when you were just leaving university and, yeah. and kind of starting out with, which if I remember correctly, you know, you did not have an agent when you left didn't. school. No. What can you tell the people, uh, yeah. <laughs> our students who are leaving now, who are now right. where you were then? What 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 is what information do you think would have been useful from your perspective today to to have to be thinking about as you were first starting out? Uh, I think a big one of the biggest ones is it's okay to take your time. I think that that's something that I never really grasped until later on because leaving college, I was so. I was excited and I was, you know, I was um, anxious to get going and what I really wanted to do. But I think with every milestone that I didn't hit in the time that I thought that I should, which again is, is made up, it's not real, there is no should in this business. Um, I got caught up in that and then that would make me feel, you know, less than or, you know, make me feel like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not as, I'm not at the place where they are. Um, again, a competition thing, but just for my own personal sake. I think if I had just enjoyed the time a little bit more, um, it would have been a little easier. And I think that that's something that still goes up to now. Like I'm still finding places where I'm like, oh, I don't have this or I haven't gotten this role or I haven't met people from this production company yet. But taking the time to just stop and look around at what where you are is important because 
no one really cares about uh, from an from an outside perspective looking at somebody else. You are more concerned with it than anybody. But has somebody looking at your career, they'll see you know growth because that's what you've shown if you just give it time. So taking time. I know it's a very long explanation of of it, but no, I think it's, it's I think it's really really helpful. But but one of the things that then occurs to me is yeah. okay, yes, taking time, but also. Um, in that time, one still needs to eat and pay rent yeah. and buy food. What, what's been your experience with yeah. the tr- transitional work period when you need to right. eat and build a career, but yeah. those two things are not necessarily supporting each other? Yeah, I well, I started working um, at Disneyland in 2010. So two years before I graduated college, I started working there. And um, I have been very, very fortunate that all of my, quote, side jobs have all been performance-related and I think that's because I, and this may be a stupid way to do it, but <clears throat> I knew that everything that I was doing had to feed me creatively. And so I only pursued work that did that. And if there's any sort of dinner theater or community theater or performance job or character work or theme park work that you can get your hands on, even if it's small, that kept me in a performance setting while I was working on my voiceover career, and that kept me in a performance state. Um, But I know that's not available to everybody. Um, And I think that when I transitioned, it was, again, it was, it's not the, not the, not a similar story to how it works for everybody. But uh, I think because I was so focused on wanting to perform, and I knew I wanted to do that, I only stuck to jobs that were that, but I still ran into failure consistently, you know, I mean, you you book the roles, you get the jobs, you get the connections, but you don't do it by yourself. Um, and people remember the people that have gratitude. Um, and it kind of gives a different, uh, this is this is sort of goes into my social media presence, which is, uh, and I think that this has been successful for me and I think for other people that have very successful careers, which is when I see somebody talk about a role that they've done, um, and this is something Bob Bergen has said too. They're, they're celebrating, they're not celebrating themselves in like a selfish way. They're celebrating the event. Like this movie came out or this TV show premiered or this episode happened or this um, series is ending. Um, and here are all the people that helped me get to this point. And I want to thank them and thank, and I'm so in so much gratitude for being part of this thing. Um, that's very different than. Um, watch me next Thursday. Um, and here's exactly where I'm going to be in the, you look for me and then that's it. And, you know, uh, saying thank you helps it keep it part of a community going back to the whole theme community saying thank you keeps you part of a group and reminds people that this was not a one person job, unless it's like a one person show that you produced entirely yourself and it's just you, but you know, it's never that in, in voiceover or really any um, big creative endeavor that I've seen. Um, so saying thank you, um, is very important. And also on top of that, being nice to people is, uh, no matter what level they're at in whatever job they have. Um, and I really saw the benefit of that in, first of all, in my Disney life and my universal life. Um, because even though I was a union performer and I was making, you know, a, a really good, Uh, a good amount of money. And um, I had a really important job. I never let that color my, you know, perception of who else was there. Like I loved I I hated that there was this, (laughs) there's this invisible divide that some people had thought up or or had experienced, especially working at 
these various theme park locations. And so I tried to dispel that myth that these union performers were any better or different because we're not. We're all doing the same show. Are there other aspects of your your career or uh, professional development that you think are are transferable? Thinking about advice to folks who aren't necessarily voice actors or maybe yeah. they're not even actors at all. Yeah. Are there things or advice that you would give them as they start their kind of career outreach, which which not to scare folks, but but fourth years, we're, we're probably coming up on that moment very soon, right? Yeah. Graduation is right around the corner and the the sort of dum-dum of, yeah. you know, educational to professional life is, right. is on the way. So I'm just sort of, what are, what are some of your other thoughts or ideas around that? I think it sort of uh, relates to what I talked about earlier, which is staying true to what you're about and who you are, no matter what you're going for. It doesn't help to sort of modify what your personality is or who you intrinsically are to appease the person that you're trying to get a job from or, or where you're trying to go because that's what they're seeing. So that's what they're going to want. I, it, maybe they'll want that person or they'll expect that person. But if you're not that person, then you're doing both people a disservice by putting this other thing on when you go into to try to get work. So trusting that that is enough, I think, is a huge hurdle because, you know, there's definitely a tendency, especially in an interview setting um, and transitioning to get work wherever it is to you know, be like, oh, I have to sit a certain way. I've got to dress like this, or I have to make sure to talk like this and make sure these talking points are, are, you know, ready to go. And, um, just all of these like very constrictive thoughts. But if you just go in there and say to yourself, I'm going to present me and then leave. And if they want me, great. But if they don't want me, then maybe this isn't the best place because I'm going to continue to be me no matter what. So, might as well go somewhere that accepts me and wants me for me versus wants the modified version of myself just to get in the door and then try to kind of cohabitate within my own brain of this person that I that I showed them and this person that I actually am. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that I can pull away from all of this is just being trusting that you are enough just in general and knowing that about yourself and that will carry through with the people that you're trying to associate with and trying to connect with and work with because um, you are people people the the person who you are is is just fine and trying to remember that I think is a big the biggest thing to remember because I still go through that a lot um, but uh, but that is always the the authenticity of, of what you are and who you're who you are is is paramount I think and so carrying that is is I think transferable to most stuff in my opinion I can't think of a better way to conclude yeah. So I'm not going to. Thank you so much for being here with us on the Final Mile Club and for sharing all of your thoughts with us. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Final Mile Club Radio, a production of the School of the Arts, Media, Performance, and Design at York University, with generous support from Jennifer Ivy Bannock and members of the Dean's Advisory Committee. You can hear more exciting episodes by subscribing to this series or joining the AMPD Final Mile Club on LinkedIn. Do you have a burning question about life after graduation? Email us at fmcr at yorku.ca, and we will be sure to pose it to a future guest. Thanks for listening, and remember, although the way may be long, you don't have to go it alone.